It was just that the last like week at camp, since it was just down to the staff, they started turning the generator off at night, and it was kind of fun. It'd be like, Why was that fun? This, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of exciting, but it was different, I guess, because it'd be like 10 o'clock, they turn it off, and then there's just no electricity in the entire camp, so you like gotta be ready, gotta have your flashlight or candles or whatever, I don't know, it's just kind of exciting. <laughs> It's like you had to kick into survival mode, basically. I guess that's why I was excited. Yeah, it made it feel like, <laughs> made me feel like I had to like, yeah, survive. But really, I was doing, all I had to do was turn on a flashlight. That's what it's going to be like when, you know, the apocalypse strikes and suddenly yeah. everyone who works for Google will be useless. You're right. Only those of us who know how to operate flashlights will be, will be equipped. That's true. But then eventually there will be a new market created for people who can find batteries for flashlights. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would probably Unless be... they have those shake flashlights. Shake Do you remember those? Yeah, the flashlights that you shake I to charge them. I feel like I vaguely remember those. Like it's like just some impression from my childhood that I have of those. Did they not? Yeah, there are all these commercials. They didn't work very well, did they? No, so basically, like, they would get really dim, and then every time you shook it, it would, like, get bright while you were shaking it, but then when you stopped, it would go really dim again, so you kind of had to very... It's really con- only good do a if, very you're, controlled if you're shake. constantly shaking. Yeah, it just looks like you have, like, just a tremor in your hand as you're trying <laughs> to shine the flashlight. <laughs> so, like, it wouldn't be good for, you know the car the car something happens you have to pull over at night and you know lift up the hood and they're like hey son can you hold the flashlight yeah, and you just yeah. gotta shake it but it doesn't need batteries it just you just shake it well that's how you charge it it has a battery but oh. yeah it doesn't have replaceable batteries okay yeah yeah sounds kind of fun we live in a time where the expectations for young people are pretty low it seems like it's hard to be taken seriously when you're young even in the church in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to let no one look down on you for being young, but to set an example for others instead. Well, there's really no time like the present, so join me and my friends as we talk about what it means to be a young Christian today. My name's Alec, and this is Despised for Youth. Hey everybody, welcome back to the latest episode of Distinguished Yogurt. I'm here as all well as sometimes with my my semi co-host Grant. I say you're a semi co-host because uh, we kind of have like a seniority system, and you kind of work your way up. So right now you're at like junior two, and eventually you become a senior partner. You said as sometimes you're here. Are you ever not on this podcast? No, I'm I'm sometimes with you, but I am not oh, always with you. Okay. This is I was like, wait, who hosts when Alex not here? See, I think the main thing holding you back from being a, an actual co-host is your lack of understanding of Boolean logic, because that was a pretty oh. clear if and or XOR. First of all, no, it was not clear that it was ambiguous. Second, I thought you were gonna say what's holding me back is the fact that I've not listened to all the episodes of this podcast. But I feel like I have a pretty good excuse. You know, for I that, wouldn't bring that know? up in an interview for your promotion. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> right. Well, I've already dug this hole. I might as well make it deeper. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I'll hand might you a well. shovel. 
Might as well make it nice and shady down here, you know. Yeah, in Florida. I've got a nice space for myself. You got to use the, the, Maybe the cold a guest that's room. saved in the ground. Mm-hmm. That's your only hope. Yeah, you got to dig. Well, you can't really dig down because you'll hit water. Anyways, this is getting a little a little into something, I don't know, science that I don't want to talk Topics about. Topics that we don't actually uh, yeah, know. I, I don't know about. anything about dirt science. Earth science, that's what dirt it's called. Science. Dirt science. Mm-hmm. That seems like a dig well, that you would say to your friend who who studies like geology. <laughs> You're like, what do you study, like dirt science or something? No, yeah, so UF, like, you know, they have a... I'm trying to remember the official name for it, but it's basically like rock and dirt science. So there's one that's like more like water science. And like I had classes in that building, you know, because at least for my experience, like the College of Education, they just stuck our classes like all over the place. Like they didn't care. So they're like, yeah, we'll put the put the history of education class in the, <laughs> the rock science belt. <laughs> like, well, the kids will be eating dirt. So it's kind of similar. I was always pretty fascinated by it. Just like the thought of like, how much is there to know about rocks and groundwater? <laughs> you can really learn about that for four years. But, you know, I actually was considering if I didn't, if I changed my mind about med school, I was considering going and doing like some geochemical thing, basically, so I could walk around outside and take samples in nature on the government's dollar and do it for Just science. go but... on go on nature walks all the time basically and get paid for it. yeah i was like i just need to move somewhere that's like not too far north and you know somewhere that the nature's pretty cool and just go sample rocks all day that's that sounds like the dream honestly i know it sounded pretty good but apparently like uh a, a, we're gonna we're gonna get into the real topic soon but apparently a, a pretty legit job is like a park ranger like they actually make a lot more money than i thought they did and not, yeah, with not that much no, training, too. Sure. And it sounds like a great job. I think I've, yeah, I've at least, like, seen a few people. Like, I don't actually know them, but I've, like, seen stuff on social media about, like, friends of friends who became park rangers in Alaska. And it looks like a really cool job. But, like, if you do it in Alaska, I think it's kind of a bigger commitment because, you know, generally the national parks there are separated from civilization a bit more Mm, so makes sense you know it's it's a commitment but it seems really cool there's like more national park than there is inhabited land pretty much honestly there's seven national parks oh really in alaska yeah interesting i think i can't remember if they have the most per state if they don't they're only beaten by like california or something they're either the most or the second most national parks per state Seven doesn't seem like that many for a, a state that big. Well, there's, there's only like, well, I mean, yeah, it's a big state, but there's only like, uh, I should know my number. I should just Google this. How many <laughs> national parks in United States instead of just spouting off numbers like, well, I think I remember it being. Okay, there's 61 national parks and California has the most with nine, followed by Alaska with eight. Oh, Alaska has eight. Huh. Oh, I, I think I was <laughs> I think I was thinking state parks, not national parks. Oh. Yeah, because well, national parks are yeah. definitely gonna be fewer. Yeah, state parks, I don't even know like how many of those there are. That would probably just be a Google search away too, but we're gonna not talk about that anymore. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's uh, let's move on from this. This is not the topic that I came into this podcast being like, I want to talk about this because I know things about I'm it. Glad I you don't so know prepared. anything about parks, apparently. Yeah, I don't. Okay, no, no, I'm not going down that road again. <laughs> Keep pulling me. But in all seriousness, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to be talking about Bible studies, more specifically uh, studying the Bible as a group, not not just your own individual diving into the word, as they often say. Um, so Grant, have you, you've been in a Bible study before, right? Um, A little bit, maybe not honestly as many as, well, I guess I don't know how many Bible studies the average person has been a part of. Um, I feel like I've mainly just been in Bible studies where I was leading younger people, you know, haven't been in quite as many, uh, like with other adults. Yeah. You know, they always say you got to learn to walk before you can run, but Grant's like, I was born running. (laughs) I do run a lot, but, but no, yeah, I've, I've been a part of various Bible studies over the course of my journey. (laughs) Journey. Yeah. (laughs) Over the course of your story. At different mm-hmm. chapters yeah, of your story, you different seasons uh-huh. of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've been in a few, but most of them were in a youth group thing or some sort of college <laughs> ministry thing. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of mixed because they're going to be very different depending on you know whether you're young or not, whether you're still a a, a youth, whether you're still actively despised. Um, but one thing I've been thinking about lately is that now that I'm in a new place and at a new church and with new people around me, different parachurch organization sort of stuff, I'm, I'm being confronted with more opportunities to join Bible studies. And, um, I've been thinking a a lot about how I can best utilize my time and not overcommit to stuff. And so I've been wondering, how how necessary is it to be in a Bible study and, you know, what are the benefits of it and how do you kind of evaluate whether or not it's a good fit? You know, just all sorts of things like that, because I, I realized I've never really thought about what it is, what it's for. Yeah, I would agree <laughs> with. <laughs> I didn't know if that was a question. I don't know. <laughs> I agree with all those wonderings. I, I would say that I wonder all those things as well. Yeah, um, the kind of the difference between having like a middle school study versus, you know, when you're an adult and you're a part of a church or whatever, um, makes me kind of wonder what, what makes something qualify as a Bible study? Like, is there a minimum requirement for it to be a Bible study? I would say for one, you have to actually crack the Bible at the study, you know? Yeah, like, which sounds silly, but like, I've definitely at least heard of Bible studies where it really wasn't a Bible study. I mean, there's there's always room for studying other books, you know. Um, I guess the problem is more of when it's advertised as a Bible study and it turns into a book club or when it's advertised a Bible study and it's just you're not really discussing the Bible at all. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. It's more just speculation. Yeah, and the, I, the, I mean, the whole speculation thing, that's a whole nother thing I want to get into later and talk kind of uh, talk about that a little bit. But what do you what do you think about the benefits of like a Bible study? Do you think it's something that like every Christian should be a part of one? Or is it kind of a, 
a nice thing on this you know is it is it the ice cream in the sunday or is it the is it the whipped cream and sherry <laughs> interesting analogy <laughs> I, I can i can translate it to like a like a, a bread or pastry analogy if that resonates with you more as a baker it might but i, I think i get you well enough okay. to just to just take it on um well i mean i think if you pose the question of whether being in a bible study is necessary the obvious answer is, well, no, it's not, you know, it's not like you can't be a Christian if you're not in a Bible study, or it's not like you can't, you know, grow if you're not in a Bible study. That's, you know, the straightforward answer to that. But I do think it's, uh, I would definitely not use the word necessary, but I do think it's something that is uh, beneficial enough that I would say, like, you should do it, you know, if you are able to be in a Bible study, if you're able to be studying the Bible with other Christians, uh, that's something you should seek out. Yeah, I would I would agree that it's definitely something that's good, obviously. Um, one thing I've been wondering is, um, that kind of seems like it's, uh, you know, if you have this opportunity, you should be taking advantage of it, because if not, it's, you know, you're kind of just wasting it. But there's definitely got to be scenarios in which, a Bible study is either not a good fit or it's not the right group or, or something something along those lines that make it so, you know, maybe you could be a part of it, but maybe it's smarter to not be a part of it. And one thing I can think of is if you're in a group that there's just a, a big difference in, in theological uh, conviction and opinion, that might make it difficult to be like a functional member of the study and and not to say that the the bible studies around me necessarily i've i've noticed these things it's just kind of things i've been thinking of is do you think that's something you have to be conscientious of when you go into the study or is it more along the lines of something where even if there are these big differences you can still kind of try to contribute to the the conversation as a whole and try and push the study in what you think is a more biblical direction i think you know Depending on the situation, it could go either way, but I would probably agree with you that generally, uh, if there's significant theological differences between you and the other people in the Bible study, especially if there is a leader of the Bible study, which I don't know if that's a feature of every Bible study, but if you have significant disagreements with the people in it, I would say that's uh, something you would have to be very cautious about and that it's generally probably not the best idea. I think... Um, I don't know if this is getting into a different subject or not, but a lot of people kind of view Bible studies, they have this belief that you can just go and just crack open the Bible and, you know, just read it and just take it for what it is, you know, and like, you don't need to worry about, uh, you know, whatever your like beliefs or biases are, because we're just going to read the Bible and, you know, we're just going to like do what the Bible says. But the point that I'm getting at is like the misunderstanding here is that you can come to the Bible without any presuppositions or without any, you know, frameworks for interpreting it. And the reality is that's not true. We all have, you know, prior experiences, biases, whatever you want to call them. We all come to the Bible and everything we interact with, with uh, underlying presuppositions and beliefs that are going to affect the way that we uh, interpret and interact with whatever it is that we're interacting with, in this case, the Bible whether you recognize that or not, like everyone has that. So the point of all that is to say that if you do have significant differences with other people in those presuppositions that you have, it's probably going to lead to some clashing when you try to make sense of the Bible and try to discuss what it means together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then 
you know, there's also the element of you have to come prepared as well, uh, not only because you're going to have your presuppositions and um, you can't just jump in and, and assume you're going to be able to just read it completely flawlessly and, and be able to interpret it correctly 100% because it, it there's some very different cultural and historical things that are can be really key to understanding what's going on there. Like I can think of examples in Revelation where the cities that the letters are written to, knowing some historical and geographical stuff about those cities and how they were viewed at the time can be really important for getting the nuance of the message. Like the whole uh, Laodicea, the church in Laodicea, um, you know, the, the warm water or lukewarm water, a lot of people will view that as hot is good and cold is bad. But in, in the passage, like if you understand what that city experienced, the cities that had hot and cold water, both hot and cold are viewed as very good things because they're useful for their own purposes. But the lukewarm water had like no good use. And so like even some small things like that can can drastically affect how you interpret the message and uh, and whether or not you kind of get where the author's going. Mm-hmm. So I definitely I definitely think that's that's a good point. So what do you think about things like spiritual uh maturity and where you're at as a believer uh and and maybe even things like age and uh experience as just a person? How do you think those impact whether or not you're a good fit for the study or what your role should be in the study? Do you think those factors influence um do you get where I'm going with this? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I think it does impact your role in the study. So I guess it comes down to like what your intention for being part of the Bible study is. Uh, Because I've been in Bible studies where uh, everyone was older than me and uh, had insights to share, you know, that like those Bible studies, I was not really contributing as much as I was like taking it in, you know, kind of trying to glean wisdom from people who are older than me and had more experience and probably had read the Bible more. Um, so, you know, in a study like that, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're part of a Bible study and everyone's older that you can't contribute or anything, but I think that, uh, you know, that's something I'm not saying that if you're part of a Bible study that everyone is older than you, that you can't contribute or anything. Uh, but I think you're going to have a bit more of a passive role in that study if you want to get the most out of it. And then on the flip side, um, recently I've been a part of a Bible study where I was one of the, it was a group of us who were older, you know, like college age, and then a bunch of high schoolers. And we were kind of leading the study for the high schoolers. And uh, that's a case in which you're there more for their benefit, you know, and you're there more to impart wisdom to them and answer questions they might have about the passage. But like in either case, I don't think it should be a matter of, you know, one person is the teacher and the other is, you know, the student or the receiver. To some degree, I think in a Bible study, everyone should be uh, in one sense on an equal playing field Um, because it's not the same thing as, you know, a pastor teaching a congregation. That's fundamentally different from a Bible study, you know, but I think that makes a lot of sense where, you know, there's kind of this there's sort of different roles that take place and you don't just occupy one role for the 
for the whole time you're a part of any group or study or in any relationship, there's always kind of a give and take. Um, that definitely makes sense. And certainly with age, that's much more of a common thing where older people are more likely to just have more wisdom to share with younger people. Uh, but what do you think about groups where, say, everyone's the same age, but there's there's a a, a bit of a difference in spiritual maturity and maybe biblical knowledge. How how might one best handle a landscape like that? Expert Grant. <laughs> I was thinking like, I don't know. Why am I, why am I getting all the questions? Are you getting the questions because you haven't asked me many questions. So I just, I just keep bringing up my, my wonderings. I turn the question back on you then while I'm thinking about it, if you have any thoughts about it. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a little more difficult, but I think you kind of have the same sort of dynamic where you have to feel out whether or not you are are kind of trying to contribute too much or or not enough and just be an active part and and do your best to help the the study go where you think the faithful interpretation is and i i just think it's a little more messy when maybe everyone's kind of on an unequal an, an ground or every, it's kind of viewed where everyone is just you know on an equal ground and it can be it can be difficult to to know who who's maybe viewing something or well when there's a disagreement who's who's correct and who's not correct and or if they're both wrong in their interpretation so it's not really the best uh, sort of answer to the question. But again, it's something I'm not entirely sure what I would tell someone to do with a with that specific situation. Yeah, well, I guess it kind of comes back to the question. I don't know if we've begun to address this yet or not. But like, what's the purpose of a Bible study? Like, we, we agreed that, you know, it's a good thing to be in. But uh, why? You know, why should a Christian want to be a part of a Bible study? Yeah, that's true. I guess we haven't really said what the purpose is yet. And that's pretty important because, you know, if you don't know what you're what you're there for, how can you plan to accomplish it? I guess, you know, the the really obvious thing that you'd want to say about the purpose of a study is to study the Bible and, you know, get to the right conclusion about what something means. But I think there's maybe a little more than that, because it's i don't think it's just a matter of purely understanding what it says but there's definitely an element of edification that happens through it you know what i mean where people are uh encouraged by like the gospel message in scripture and um it just kind of bolsters people's faith i think that's definitely a a pretty important element in a bible study like that's got to be a part of the goal mm-hmm. yeah there's uh, there is, I think, benefit to uh, studying the Bible with other believers, basically, not just because, like, you know, different people have different insights to share, you know, just as with, like, any book, you know, that's why people join book clubs. Uh, but also, I would say just because it is, you know, fellowship with other believers is vital to our faith. You know, that's why we have the church. That's why we come together uh, to worship and hear teaching. You know, it's not just the fact that like other people are nice to be around sometimes, but like that's something that God has uh, commanded us to do. Um, So I think those like relate to why a Bible study is with other people is more important. No, sorry. I think those uh, 
kind of relate to why a Bible study with other believers is different from private Bible study. And they're both important. Uh, yeah, but like you can't just say, I'm not going to be part of a Bible study with other people because I read the Bible enough on my own. So I don't really, you know, need much more of that. It's kind of serving not a different purpose, but it's a different thing. Yeah, it it definitely is <laughs> kind of uh, meeting different needs i guess or or accomplishing mm-hmm. different things like fellowship is probably the right word to throw in there i feel like everything gets called fellowship these days so it's one of those words i don't really like i like to use it very sparingly but yeah fellowship really is analogy a big part of it. i feel like maybe an analogy you could use is saying you know if you get invited to like go to dinner with people you can't say every time, like, oh, I'm not going to go to dinner with people because I eat dinner at my own place, you know, all the time. Like, I don't need to do that. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you have food. Like, sure, you can feed yourself without other people. But, like, that's not really why you go to dinner with other people, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a good maybe, analogy. Maybe it's not a, not a perfect analogy because you're kind of, I think you are still kind of serving the same purpose uh, in private Bible studies, Bible study with other people. And that's, you know, exposure to scripture and learning from it, hearing God speak through it. Uh, But it's still different, you know? Yeah. My, my weakness when it comes to Bible study is I tend to be more oriented around what I think is like the truth and what, what the Bible says. And I think my, my weakness is to push a little bit too much sometimes if I think it's headed in in like a wrong direction um, and try and bring it to what I think is like the faithful interpretation. And I don't I don't always think enough about how the fellowship aspect of it is important. And, you know, the relationships are important because uh, when it comes down to it, I'm not always the most relational person. And so it's you know, that's just I, I tend to go on that side of the spectrum. But um, you're right. You know, the purpose isn't just to go and and understand the Bible more, but it's, it's specifically to do it in the context of other believers. And it's like, you can't, you can't separate those two things. It's, it's one joint unit. Yeah. And I think part of that is, I know at least for the Bible study, I've been a part of most recently where it was, you know, some older people and some high schoolers. Uh, There were a lot of times when we got pretty off topic, you know, we started, uh, we're going through Romans, so we'd read a chapter of Romans and discuss some different things about it. We had some different questions to lead us, but there were still times when, like, a student would have a question about something that was maybe, like, mentioned in the passage, uh, and it would kind of get us going on sort of a tangent. Uh, and that was okay, because the purpose of that Bible study was not, we're going to, you know, exposit Romans perfectly. You know, we're going to, like get to the bottom of just what Roman says. And like, that's the goal. The goal is, it was, you know, like the edification of those high school students. So it's like, if they had questions about other things, uh, biblical things, you know, it was still about the Bible, just not about the passage. It's like, yeah, that's what this study is for. Like, that's what we're here for. Um, so like, (laughs) yeah, I get what you're saying. Like there's, there's almost this mindset. I think that comes up a lot. And I think maybe this is the mindset I, I kind of lean towards, uh, unfortunately sometimes is to think that if you're doing a study by the end of the study, you want to be like, all right, we did Romans, like we're done. 
Like we did it. Mm-hmm. We understand yeah. it. We got it. You know, and that, like, like that's I've mastered happen. Romans. I can move on now. <laughs> you know, like one down, sixty-five to go. Right, yeah. right. And you're you're not gonna do that. It's just not gonna happen. Like even if anyone thinks that they've they've fully got a, a book down, you know, like I I I'm gonna guess they probably haven't. I bet I, I bet like you know the the most knowledgeable people you know would tell you you know, no, there's still so much to learn and and. You know, that's just always the way it's going to be. Um, but I, I like the thinking of the example of like a high school study where, you know, I don't think the goal should be to fully get every single bit of information out of the book because, you know, ultimately that's that's not always what's going to do them the most good in their uh, in their faith. But it's, um, you know, learning through through other people that they trust and um, and having that relationship and kind of building building the framework of discipleship and Bible study together. And that, that kind of equips them to go off and and do stuff in the future. Yeah. So you talked about like that impulse to kind of master a book. What about kind of the other side of the coin? I feel like we were going to talk about this at some point. How can Bible studies go awry in the other way. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about this. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I think one of my worst experiences at a Bible study was um, we were doing a study on the book of James. And I was like excited. I wanted to, you know, be uh, be a good little Bible studier. Um, This was while I was in college at some point during college. And so I did a lot of my own reading and I looked at like a commentary or two and I just wanted to come prepared because, you know, a lot of the studies I did when I was younger, I never came prepared. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this right. Like I'm actually going to try and and bring my thoughts to the study and discuss them. And so I did all that. And then we showed up to the study and basically uh, they they divided us up and said, you know, read through this and, you know, just what do you think about it? And I, I heard some of the most ridiculous stuff from some of the groups, um, just like one or two people here or there. They would just say stuff that, you know, they thought it was giving off this message and it was just way off. Like, you don't you don't need to know that much to say that's that's just definitely not what what James is talking about here. And I I tried to, you know, say, well, you know, I don't I don't know about that and just kind of bring it up for conversation. But it, it became pretty clear, like they didn't they did not want any like disagreement at the study. And so I was I just kind of never went back because I was I was frustrated and pretty let down too that, you know, I put in all this work and I wanted to have like conversation about about what was in James and it just didn't happen. It was more just people sharing what their first impressions was. So I think that's definitely the biggest problem is it becomes a matter of this is what I think it is. And every every thought that someone has about the book is valid. It's considered valid. I don't I don't think that's the right way to view it because it's not. You can't that's not possible that every single person's first interpretation uh is gonna be you know, it's it's going to be right. I just, yeah, it just can't be. Yeah, maybe this is like getting into a separate subject entirely, but I feel like some of that at least comes from kind of this popular, I don't know if I can call it a trend. I don't, I don't feel qualified to even talk about this, but like uh, this idea that you can go and read something, like not just the Bible, you can read anything and whatever you can interpret out of it like that's just as valid as like whatever the next person can interpret out of it 
Um, I know I've at least like read some books in high school that way where it's like you say what you think the author is talking about and it's like that's treated as just as valid as like what someone else thinks. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, I feel yeah. like we've kind of lost this idea of there is something the author intended to write about. And maybe that's especially true for the Bible, you know, at least in popular culture. Well, popular church culture, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. The zeitgeist. I don't know what to call it, but I think there's this idea out there. I don't know where, but it's out there. <laughs> you can read the Bible and like, you know, you don't have to know anything about the context. You don't really have to know like what the author's goal for writing the book was like, just read it. And yeah, like whatever, whatever it means to you that day, that that's valid, you know? And like that, that is absolute truth right there. Like whatever you draw from it on that particular reading of it. And I just don't think that's true. I think God does speak to us through his word in a way that is you like, He's, he can speak to your individual situation through the Bible, but like there is still an objective meaning behind it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, we can't just say, I don't think that's true and not give, you know, good reasoning why, but like it, it can't be true because uh, there are things that are, that God says in the Bible that certain interpretations just contradict somewhere else in the Bible. And so it's like they can't be true. And and you can also have like a consistent theology. So, you know, it works better in context where you say, uh, you know, not every interpretation is true. And some people say, well, well, you know, like they're all valid. And it's like, okay, what do you mean by valid? I think I think by valid, what they mean is you don't shoot people down and call them idiots if they're wrong. And like, yeah, definitely. You don't want to do that. Right. That'd be stupid. But uh, at the same time, like not everything anyone's going to say that they might feel strongly about is going to be correct. And and con- conviction isn't, you know, a measure of whether or not someone uh, is right or understands something. But at the same time, we, we have to keep in mind, like, we're going to have bits and pieces wrong and we're going to have nuances wrong here and there. But the goal should be, what do I think the text is objectively saying, not what does it seem like it's saying to me at this time? And it's, I think it's a very subtle difference in practice where you have to have this mindset of, this is what it seems like, but let me make sure. And that's, that's kind of the extra step you need to take is saying like, I want to be certain that I'm right and that this makes sense. And so I'm going to think very carefully about it. And and maybe some of this comes to, we need, we need more of a sense of, um, like a more of a respect for for the word uh, in our lives where we say, like, I I would hate to misquote God, basically. Like, I would hate to misrepresent him um, because, you know, I care about what's right and I care about what he wants to tell us. So, like, I'm going to do my due diligence in trying to make sure I don't misrepresent, uh, like, his important messages to us. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, like, a common argument that you hear probably both from Christians and non-Christians, when you talk about the Bible and what you propose that it is objectively saying is, well, that's your interpretation. You know, you hear people say, that's your interpretation. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. But the, that argument is getting at like the underlying, the premise of that argument is that uh, there is no one correct interpretation of the Bible. And that's not, true you know there is objective truth uh so just telling saying like that's your interpretation doesn't discount um 
what you're saying about the Bible. So, yeah, I think the, that this is basically how things can go awry in a study. So say you find yourself in one, what what should we do to try and, you know, help put things in the right direction, you know, be, be, be a good member of the study and, and try and um, make it a healthy study. What do you do when things start to go awry um, in this particular wing, I guess? Well, I was going to say, I think one thing to keep in mind based on what we've been saying is that it's not like we were saying earlier, the purpose of a Bible study is not to dissect something, you know, a book of the Bible scientifically and say, this is Romans, you know, and we're going to master Romans. So I don't think it's wrong for someone in a Bible study to say, like, you know, this passage makes me think of this you know, like not basically what I'm saying is not everything you say in a Bible study needs to be a claim about what the author was objectively trying to say to his audience, because if that's all you talk about, you're not really going to touch on how the passage applies to you anyway. And that's kind of important. Um, so I was just going to add that uh, little disclaimer that we're not saying that a Bible study should be a scholarly discussion only about the text, you know? No, no, not at all. Yeah. As for, so you ask like what to do when a Bible study goes awry. Yeah, so, so like the goal, kind of, the goal is, you know, we're trying to gain more knowledge about what the Bible says and we're trying to do it in like this relational context. So when things steer away from that by becoming more about individual subjectivity, how do you try and put things back to, you know, the main goal? Hmm. I definitely don't have an expert answer for that. One thing I think is healthy in a Bible study is to agree with the people in your Bible study that disagreement is not the same thing as conflict. Yeah, I've been in I've been in some contexts before where um uh, me and another person were like, "Okay, yeah, you know, disagree uh, agree to disagree." And we were fine with it, but like uh, I think it made some people uncomfortable because, um, you know, it's just kind of maybe not everyone's used to that. Like not everyone's used to there being any disagreement whatsoever. And, um, you know, that I'm I'm used to the disagreement because I'm often wrong. And so I often disagree with people and then find out later that I was wrong. Um, and, obviously, you know, I, I do my best to like say, hey, you were right. But yeah, I think I think that is kind of a foreign concept uh, to some people, and it's it's one thing to keep in mind. Do you have other thoughts about what to do in a Bible study? Because I'm like yeah, thinking, like, I'm legitimately like, I don't know, like, because yeah. I've definitely you know just been in more situations where it's like, oh, like there's no good way to like fix this. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I think like the study you were a part of, you know, is kind of a situation right. where it's like, I don't know what you could have done except leave but maybe that's just because <laughs> well yeah. maybe that's because there was someone like leading it you know right. and you don't want to usurp their authority so maybe it's different for if it's more of an equal yeah but when we're talking about uh when the disagreement happens though i mean you don't always want to make that super super clear i would say like the best thing to do is um is understand that pretty much 99% of people who you're going to disagree with in a Bible study, they, you know, they probably have the best intentions and, you know, by agreeing with and supporting the, the comments of people and, and setting that as a general tone, when you kind of try and 
lead away from something and say, well, you know, you know, I'm not really sure about that. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. You've already laid a framework for, you know, you're, you're in this to support people. You're in this because you want, you want to, you want everyone to learn and, you know, you're a team player. And so I think like, you kind of have to set that groundwork first of all, like you can't be, my, my weakness is I tend to be quiet and like, just read things over and over again. And then I hear something, I'm like, hmm, we need to fix this. And you know, that's not good. So I have to try and be actively engaged and, and, um, you know, not just be thinking about the next thing I want to say. Um, but when, when you do have to do it, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you're canoeing with another person, you don't make a big deal if you're, if you're steering the wrong way, you kind of just like switch and you just do a little more and try and correct it. And I think it's very, very subtle is you just, you just want to be clear about, you know, I'm not really sure about that. Um, and try and just initiate more conversation about that and, and do it in a friendly way. And I think that's going to be like really the only way you can do it in a, in a Bible study where everyone's, you know, just kind of equals, there's no leader. Uh, but if there's a leader, you know, that I don't even know what you do with that. I think you, you, you quit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You just leave. Maybe there's another answer there, but that's all I got to that. <laughs> but yeah, I think if it's more of an equal playing field, you're right that uh, you got to be gracious and gentle in the way you do it. But I think there would be, I think it would be perfectly right to maybe raise the question of, okay, but you know, maybe for a specific example, if someone has just shared like what the passage like made them think of or what it means to them that day, you know, you can raise the question of, okay, but like, what do you think the author was getting at? Like when he wrote this passage, you know, to the original audience, you can raise that question and kind of try to steer the conversation in that direction in like a friendly way, you know, and in a way that's not discounting whatever they said. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's I think it's one of those things where when you're in the setting, like if you can if you can make sure to keep in your mind, like we're on the same side, you know, like this person's not just like an idiot or, you know, just like if you can have a good mindset of it, the the social skills that are needed to navigate this tend to come naturally. I think it's when we in our minds, we tend to put distances between us and say like well I know so much more than this person um or like this person you know they're they have they're selfish and so they don't you know I don't know what what you might come up with but um the more you have of that the more you're gonna end up coming across as like you're the you're the the arbitrator of the bible study and you're stepping in to you know draw the the line between truth and falsehood and you just want to steer as clear from that as you can because it's it's only gonna it's only gonna cause discord between everyone yeah i think just saying to yourself that you don't know everything i think that goes a long way because <laughs> that kind of deconstructs a lot of those attitudes you just talked about there just realizing you know you're not an expert you don't know everything and yeah what other people have to say is not always either true or false you know yeah like i was saying earlier there's room in a bible study since it's not you know a pastor preaching to a congregation you're not you don't need to call out when people say things that are maybe incorrect or not relevant you don't need to call those out and make them think that they're wrong because it's different you know there's room in a bible study for uh grace in those things and also for you know 
straying away from the passage if the conversation is leading that way and it's still, you know, going to be upbuilding and edifying to people. Yeah, definitely. And I think above all, you have to pick your hills that you're going to die on. Like you got to decide in the moment, is this going to be important? And from from the context of I only have so many of these I can do. Uh, over a period of time before people are just going to not listen to me anymore. Because if you're the guy who every week, uh, you know, he's he's got a he's bringing up something and, and disagreeing about stuff that's going to come across and no one's going to want to listen to you at that point. They're going to think you're you know, you're kind of a know it all and, and you don't want that. You, you don't want to you don't want any know it alls doing know-it-all stuff in a study because again like the relational part of it's too important so you're not gonna that's just gonna drive a wedge in there and you just do not want that so like is it is it a crucial issue yes or no and if it's not and even if it is actually i would say ease into it and as much as you can do like the improv yes and sort of thing like um here's a here's a a fun fact i don't know if you've heard this like the they say like the biggest killer to to improv comedy is when you don't agree with stuff like you're always supposed to agree with the premise and take it further and i think like that's what they call yes and um and even with like biblical stuff i think it plays a little bit into the culture of you don't want to shoot people down even if they're wrong but it also just kind of keeps a good morale and keeps the right tone. So if someone, um, I can't think of a good example right now, but, it, you know, say someone gives their their thoughts on a passage and, you know, it's just not quite there. Say, uh, for example, you know, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And this person says, you know, we're never supposed to judge anyone at all for anything. And you say, yeah, you know, I think I think there's definitely something there. You know, it's very clear we don't, shouldn't go around judging people all the time but you know and 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 then you take it from there where it's not you just say no i disagree but you kind of affirm that you you value what the person thinks even if you don't necessarily value every bit of content do you know what i mean yeah i was thinking it kind of relates to the way you might try to be talking to non-believers and like trying you know when you're having conversations about spiritual things with them you don't want to just tell them that the wrong things that they think are wrong because people don't like that and they're not going to want to be your friend anymore and i think it's a different completely different situation because uh, your goal here in the bible study is not to correct everyone's wrong beliefs if it is you need to check your goals there (laughs) if you have either that as your goal or your goal to make everyone think you're smart or to like gain power over the bible study i don't know if you have something else in mind there (laughs) you know yeah i mean it sounds silly but you know i think there's people out there who try to do that you know um anyway like if you have an intention like that like it's gonna come out people are not gonna like you they're not gonna want you to come uh Yeah, ultimately, I think uh, if you have the intention of like loving other people and actually yeah, trying to share together in what the word is really saying, it's easy to do. Well, I don't want to say it's easy. It's simple to do that in a way that's friendly and compassionate and patient, you know, and that's not going to make you come off like a jerk or make other people feel bad uh it's simple but maybe not necessarily easy it's about straightforward versus you know how how well you can accomplish it i guess yeah and hopefully hopefully you're not in a bible study where you're constantly trying to like 
put out fires or, you know, I, that's not really the correct figure of speech there, is it? But hopefully you're not in a Bible study where you're constantly dealing with, you know, people saying things that are not right and you're just there cringing the whole time and wondering how you can gently correct them. Hopefully the study is not mostly that. If it yeah. is, you might need to go find a different study. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if there's going to be some degree of wrong in what everyone says and you got you to gotta evaluate, like, where's this study at? Like, if it's a, a study with a bunch of kids... You don't need to correct everything they say because that's going to, you know, that'll that'll be dealt with over time. And you got to trust that God's going to work in people's lives with other people as well, not just like you in that instance. And like, if you're going to be faithful, you better you better, you know, get in there and deal with this. But, um, you know, I think if you're in a study with a lot of adults and maybe you're you're cringing left and right all the time, you just that's probably when you got to think about, is this a good fit? Like, is this the study that I should be in? Um yeah, I think I yeah, think hopefully I think like, yeah, there's a difference between, you know, being part of a Bible study where you're trying to do it to like edify those younger, less mature than you. But that, like if you're in a Bible study for your edification, like you should be in it with people who are at approximately the same level of spiritual maturity, I think, as you. And obviously, you know, there's leeway there. Yeah. Um, we'll come out with you what I'm saying is like, at some point, you know, so you can properly gauge the, the, the yeah, levels maybe, of maturity. Maybe like Spurgeons or something. Like I think that's good. If you're good. at like 180 Spurgeons. I would say Calvins, but, you know, that's not everyone's going to agree with that. And also that's too close to Kelvins. <laughs> but yeah, what I'm saying here is like if you're in a study and you're just sitting there cringing the whole time and wondering how you can graciously correct people either you've got a pride problem or you're in the wrong study. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are pretty much the two answers. So one last area I think that is relevant to talk about is um, how do you think people should prepare if they're going to be leading a study? Because you and I, we've both led a decent amount of studies, but it's mostly with middle school and high school uh, kids at youth group, which is, you know, that's it, that's its own very specific category right there but uh do you think there's kind of any universal principles or or or, you know hot tips that people should keep in mind well if you are leading a study that's for believers who are less mature than you whether that they're also younger or not i think an important thing to consider is what you're going to study and for that it's you know the basic uh adage of know your audience you know I would say if you're leading a Bible study for believers who are relatively immature, you're not going to want to pick like, I don't know. Ecclesiastes. I don't know. Ecclesiastes can be good. But uh, I, don't, you know, I don't know. It depends. Maybe, okay, maybe not. Maybe not for less mature believers. You're not going to want to pick Revelation or Song of Solomon. Heavens, like, does anyone do a study on Song of Solomon? <laughs> Different subject. Um. Anyway. You want to you wanna pick a book that is going to be best for uh, the group that you're leading. I don't really know if you're, you know, I don't know if this, if what you're asking applies to studies where, you know, everyone's kind of on an equal playing field, like you're in, you're about the same level of spiritual maturity as everyone else. Because I feel like in that case, you guys would probably decide on a book together. Yeah, probably. I also don't really know what kind of tips I would offer to a leader there because I feel like you're not probably really leading as much. Well, 
you're probably more facilitating no. if anything yeah like if it comes down to it and then i guess all that comes down to is just be good at facilitating like have some have some questions that you you have and you know put them mm-hmm. out there and just kind of keep the keep things going and flowing and put out you know if there's any conflict if, if things get tense i think that's all you really do if if it, you're just kind of facilitating a study yeah maybe maybe put out some snacks too Ooh, that's snacks. another thing you could put out it'd be a pretty good facilitator there yeah you, you're gonna want to make sure you steer away from things that are too crunchy or have crinkly wrapping because that's going to be oh my distracting or at least makes people feel pretty self-conscious you know even if that's everyone's true. like cool with it because i feel like you know most of the time everyone's cool with it if people want to snag but like i feel really self-conscious if i have to like <laughs> open something crinkly and everyone like kind of looks at you out out of the corner of their eye you know you know so that. like no sun chips um, basically no, although some chips are pretty good, but like yeah, put them in a bowl. No, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, back to like uh, leading for people who are less spiritually mature than you. In addition to like picking a book that you know they're going to benefit from, I think in the same way, uh, you also want to pick, you know, or sorry, you also want to have ways to facilitate it that are going to kind of help them as you try to interpret the book because. I think if you're leading a study that's for other people's edification, you're going to be doing some teaching in that, you know, you're going to be trying to steer them toward some of the correct interpretation, you know, so you probably want to be prepared to do that, you know, be prepared to like, like, think about how am I going to help them to understand this passage as well as I understand it, you know, not saying yeah. that you have to be a master on it. Obviously, you don't need to be an expert to teach someone else about the Bible. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this podcast. But, you know, you want to you want to be prepared to kind of help them along if you're further along than they are. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only thing I would add to that is I think you have to keep in mind that you're not going to be able to say everything you know about the topic and you shouldn't try because that's kind of one of the great, uh, I would say that's like the great bane of theological teaching is not being brief when you need to be brief. Like brevity is a huge virtue. And I only say that because people, you know, you can give a long explanation about something. I mean, Lord knows I give long explanations on this podcast, probably more than are necessary, but not everyone's going to need what you think is a full explanation. So you have you have a person thinking, I want to do justice to this. I want to do like logical justice to this argument or this idea. So I need to explain it in its full breadth. Whereas maybe people get that a lot quicker and understand more quicker than than you think they're going to. And and you kind of got to figure out how you're going to flow through that with making sure you don't you don't say every single thing, you know, and the extent to which you know it throughout the whole study, because you're just not going to get very far. You're going to end up running out of time every week and and then you're going to be doing way more talking than there's discussing and you know on the other end yeah i think brevity is a very good attribute in pretty much anything that relates to teaching or speaking to others he said at the end of an hour-long podcast (laughs) yeah maybe maybe if you if you're not brief you have to just at least condense and, and emphasize what is important. Like one thing I've thought about a lot at med school is 
um, they do this thing when they when they teach in the lectures where they'll say this is a key reaction, you know, this is a key attribute of like an enzyme or, or whatever, and they'll just talk about it and they'll give all these examples of like different things in life, how that process or that enzyme's used, and then at the end. They're like, okay, moving on. And you realize all they wanted you to know was what the thing was and all the explanations that they did were just to try and prove to you that it's relevant. And 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 then we realize like you don't need to do that. Like we get it. Like we can we can take that it's relevant. And there's one professor, and he man, he is the best on on all of his slides where he does. You know, this is where you see it in in nature. This is where it happens. He puts in the top right of the slide, not tested, and and so everyone just like sets everything oh, down, and they just amazing because they know they're like this is just for my interest. It's just to like you know, kind of like a fun fact. And I don't need to like memorize this specific thing. And man, I miss that guy. I wish he taught more. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) you've probably seen like jokes and memes about like the college freshman who just takes notes on absolutely everything that the professor says. Yeah, like I swear, like it happens all the time where the professor is like, okay, like don't write this down. You don't need to know this. And people still you hear clackety clack clack clack. (laughs) Well, I don't think we're going to recover from that. No. I mean, I feel like I don't I don't have any other thoughts, really. Yeah, I'm I'm out of stuff, too. You know, I think we think we solved Bible study. I think we I think we are done with Bible study. Like we mastered it. Yeah, I'd say we did about there's nothing every bit nothing left to say. So by anyone, if you listen to this, like you pretty much never need to revisit the topic. Uh huh. I would say. Wow, this sarcasm is just like (laughs) it's really building up thick layer like it's a good two inches by now is, I bet. is this sarcasm or is this like something else oh that, that's sarcasm i feel like it's, sure. it's it's i feel like it's not sarcasm unless you make it very obvious with your voice i think maybe it's like something <laughs> that else hasn't been true for years mm, i feel like true. does anyone i mean maybe you just very gently use your voice but you know i recall I recall days when when people wanted to speak sarcastically, they had to move their voice up and down like this. Maybe maybe that's just like children. Like maybe yeah. I don't think that's actually like, oh, from like 2000 to 2010, that's what people did. I think what's really going on there is that's what people do from the ages of 5 to 13. And that's how old Grant was from 2000 to 2010. I don't know. I think there's... I think some people still do it like there's nothing funnier to me than when you make like a joke uh, like a sarcastic or a deadpan joke and someone thinks you're serious like I think that's way funnier than them actually getting what you're saying because sometimes they just think you're an idiot I think though sometimes maybe but like I don't like when people don't get jokes you know well I think maybe it's the different stage of life I'm in but I've kind of I've kind of decided, like, you know, I don't need to make friends with everyone at med school or anything like that. So, like, if people just think I'm I'm weird when I say something and, like, it's it's a joke just for me, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, it makes me feel more like an, like an underappreciated artist. Oh, I sure do make a whole lot of jokes that are just for me. And, like, if anyone else laughs, it's just a bonus. Yeah, that's, that's like, most of my life there. <laughs> but I feel like when the joke costs you something, you know, it's like you're suffering for your art. Okay, and that I see that's like saying. the most artist thing you can do is to suffer for your art. Do you get what, you get what I mean here? And and like I'm I'm, I, I get what I'm you're being saying. slightly serious here too. I'm not even I'm not even messing. I know with you are. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah.
as I was thinking, I definitely can think of a number of people who like 90% of our conversation is just us saying things completely deadpan, but we mean the opposite of what we say, you know? I'm sure, I I feel like maybe other people can relate to that, but there's certain people in my life who that's pretty much all we do, just say the opposite of what we mean to each other. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think that's the alternative to just being really negative and like depressing is to to is to feign uh-huh. positivity and like make the joke that you don't feel that way at all. Sometimes I think about how interesting like sarcasm is as a cultural trend, you know, just everyone goes around just saying the opposite of what's really true and that's either considered funny or just like a way to converse you know it's yeah very strange compared to a hundred years ago you know people would be like what why would you why would you just say the opposite that's stupid yeah kind of is i think sri uh sarcasm i think sarcasm is a lot like sri racha like whenever people first find out about it they're like oh it's amazing they put it on everything and then they but like the downside is you know, when you overdo it, you're just eating like a bowl of Srirat and it's like, this isn't good anymore. You know, like if you just Um, douse it on everything, like that's, that's not how you use it. The way you use it is just a little bit here and there, you know, add some zest, you know, spice things uh, up. But the other way it's like Sriracha is like, you know, that guy who like defines himself by his love for Sriracha and like wears t-shirts that say stuff about it. And everyone's like, dude, like that's weird that you like Sriracha that much. Yeah. You know, other people do the same thing with sarcasm where they just love to advertise how sarcastic yeah. they are. And that's weird. And you should not build your personality on that. Anyway. Do you ever have those moments where like, let me climb down off this soapbox here. Hold on a second. <laughs> I can't see you up there. Like it's pretty high up yeah, here. Yeah, your your high horse is, is awfully tall. <laughs> yeah, he's a good boy though. <laughs> there, there, sugar cube. There, there. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm shushing the horse. Not not to continue on the sarcasm thing, but one <laughs> one one last thought. Do you ever have those moments where, like, you're able to tell? someone's going to say something really sarcastic like right before they talk. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I... Like, have you ever... You just see someone's face change and you're like, they're going to say something that's just like way sarcastic. Maybe. I know people like that where, you know, you just know that whatever they're going to say in a situation will be sarcastic. I I don't know why, but I just think it's hilarious when like you have a friend and like you hear something and you and you can just see the transformation on their face when they think of what they're about to say. I just think it's so funny. Kind of makes me feel like, you know, that guy from Psych too. You know, you get a little bit of element of that, but I don't know why I like that. I also get well. a lot of enjoyment when I guess numbers right. So like clearly my, the things that satisfy me in life are you know like what kind of numbers well today i was watching a lecture and the professor because uh, i was behind i didn't do as much friday work as i should have but we were watching a lecture and the professor randomly asked um what do you guys think the obesity rate is in america and someone's like 75 and they're like whoa no that'd be scary and i was just sitting at my computer and i go hmm 40 and he goes it's about 40 and I just like throw my hands up because I don't know why like it's just very satisfying to guess things right you know it's like the it's like a trick shot with your mind in a sense okay you need to guess the number of times I don't know where I'm going with this number of times yeah 
Um, what's something that I've done multiple times in the recent memory? Oh, guess the number of times that I saw a moose in the past month. In the past month? I'm yes. going to say... I know it's either once or twice. I'm going to go with once. Nope, it was twice. Dang it. Dang, yeah, that was like that was like a 50-50 shot. I realized after I asked it, like, this is not a good guess the number <laughs> question because anything above, anything above, like, four would be like, he's lying for sure. And even <laughs> that is like, that's a lot of moose. If, you see, if you've seen four moose in, in the last month, it's like, how are you not dead? Like, I know you've been running around outside. Like, you yeah. encountered them in the wild, so. Yeah, no, like, I get... Like, I'm not in a vehicle or anything yet, but I also think it was the same moose twice, just in different locations. So, yeah, those guys, I think it was just the one. Those guys will clomp you to death. You got to be careful. I hear that they actually don't, they're not generally aggressive. I think the males can be during mating season, oh. which it is mating season and it was a male. <laughs> so, in this instance, yes, there was reason so, for so me where, to where you going be with this? concerned. I'm saying generally, I don't think moose are. Well, at least what I've read says they're not generally dangerous. And also you can run from them, unlike bears, which I read that and I was like, oh, good. Like, that's that's good news for me because we're going to put this. on. I'm, yeah, we're going to put this on your. We're going to put this on, on your tombstone, what? like in quotes. <laughs> generally moose aren't aggressive. And then, I'm pretty and sure then generally quotes, moose aren't dangerous. Underneath that, it goes. You can run from them. <laughs> wow! Yeah, none. No one's gonna be sad when oh, I man. get mauled by a moose. They're just gonna. They're just gonna be laughing at how naive I was. Yep. <laughs> I did tell everyone, like, when everyone was worried that I saw the moose, I was like, "Okay, but guys, like, how cool would it be if I got gored by a moose?" And they're like, "Grand, no." And I'm like, "But like, like, I get it, but." How cool would that be? <laughs> and I still stand by that. I think that beats be death by bear, probably. Yeah, probably. Either one, though. Like, it'd be pretty, be a pretty yeah. gnarly way to go. Like, well, get, I'd be okay with it. Getting clomped to death seems like a little bit faster and maybe less painful than getting like clawed to death. Uh, when I envision getting killed by a moose, I always envision getting impaled by the antlers, which is probably not what would happen, honestly. But like. That's the coolest way it could happen. Like that's what I'm. That's what I'm gunning for. <laughs> like, if I, are you if I have a say in my moose goring experience. Are you imagining like he just carries you around in his antlers for a while? Like I don't know. I was I was thinking more of like one impalement, and then he kind of majestically flings me off. You know, his giant head creates like an arc in the sky, and my body goes flying. <laughs> this is that's what I want. <laughs> you know oh <laughs> that's the hope gotcha yeah i mean you gotta die sometime well you know this is this is about the time we need to uh wrap things up so um as as we're known to do grant i'm sure you're prepared for this uh, i just want to ask Mary, you'd be surprised uh you know what's been working for you lately you can you okay can think i'm gonna go with i know i actually have something I'm going to say, uh, and this, just like every time I've answered this question, is stupid, but I'm going to say flannels because I have never owned a flannel prior to about a month ago. Really? When I was, yeah. No, yeah, I never have. 
And I was visiting, you know, Florida from Alaska for a week. And then I was going back to Alaska where I was for the rest of August and pretty much all of September. And it gets cold there. Oh, right, right. We don't need time. your life story here. Okay, I'm getting the point is nigh, trust me. Back in 1953, John Judah arrived <laughs> with a dream and a bag on his <laughs> It all started when I was born. No. Long story short, I bought a couple flannels, started wearing them when it was cold, and I love them. They're probably my favorite article of clothing now. Well, they're up there. So, yeah, that's what's been working for me. I look forward to wearing flannels more in all the cold times ahead of me this winter well cool yeah i like flannels I w- they're nice and if you get the right kind like you got to find the soft yeah, kind yeah there i feel like there i don't really know like what distinguishes a real flannel from like a fake flannel i think flannels you know, just like a shirt a textile but people generally yeah. call checkered shirts that like have that pattern they'll just exactly call flannels that's what I'm getting at. Like there are some of those shirts out there that just have the pattern, but they're not comfortable. But like actual flannel is so soft, right? Like no, I think actual flannel is right actually not very soft. But oh, I'm not sure about is that. Would I own fake flannel then? I don't. I don't even know anymore. But I like what I have. I have some soft shirts that look like they're flannel. Maybe are, maybe aren't. But I love them. Flannel Friday. You know, you're ready. Yeah, now I can actually participate in Flannel Friday. All right, so oh, you're right. I almost forgot that I have to propose the question to you two before you can talk about it. What's been working for you? Yeah, I just I just feel like you don't mean it when you preface like that. Well, I I, I want to know. I just expect you to jump right into it. You know. I guess you know sometimes sometimes you just want to be asked though what's been working, and also sometimes you're stalling for time because you yourself are not that prepared and you're looking around the yeah, room, just seeing what you have in your office. You're just what? like, uh, uh, I've been I've been wearing a lot of socks lately. <laughs> um. Drinking water. So uh, one thing that's been working for me lately, uh, to preface, we got to go all the way back. Um, about <laughs> to 1954 when joe juno arrived with a bag <laughs> on his back and a dream dream in his heart <laughs> a song on his heart <laughs> oh man i don't even know um this is the part where i'm starting to like not be able to think straight okay yeah so anyways uh a couple years ago i realized some of my favorite tv shows that uh, you know newly discovered favorite tv shows are reality shows in which justice is served and so <laughs> uh, you know some of some of my friends will be familiar with my my grand judge judy phase and let me tell you sometimes i still think about how i miss watching judge judy but ultimately i stopped because the only way i could i could watch it was on youtube on like these weird bootleg accounts that i i kind of deduce you know like yeah this probably isn't i feel like this is dishonest of them like they're getting ad revenue from this and they're getting copyright they're getting taken down every week and so they just make new ones i was like you know and i I don't want to participate in that uh and and so like it it conflicted me more than it should have but anyways recently uh, I've been watching the show Catfish on Hulu, and and let me tell you, it scratches the Judge Judy itch. It's it's not as good because there's not as much justice per minute or JPMs as we say. <laughs> What's the unit for that? Um, I believe it is Judy's actually. It's a derived unit, right? The derived unit is Judy's. Yeah, it, JPMs are Judy's, as we say. Okay. 
Yeah, there's so there's so not, it's hovering more around like 50 JPMs. Well, no, that would be really high. No, no, it's not nearly that. Even even Judy herself is not. Yeah. She's it's a decimal figure, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's on a logarithmic scale. Let's just let's just. Say, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so there's not as much justice happening in one episode, but I still I, I still enjoy this crappy reality TV where people just you know like. The stuff happens. I, I, it's probably not healthy. People might say, "Oh, it's like a you know you." It makes you feel good because uh, you know you feel better about yourself. I think there's just not enough drama in my life, and and that's what it does. I guess I don't know, but I've been that's watching a lot of catfish. probably a good thing. I think I'm about done with it though because it's been about ten episodes, and I, I'm like, eh, there's other stuff to watch in my spare time, so we'll see. But that's both. You're that's right there. Working. Nice. Well, Grant, uh, thanks for joining us on the Distinguished Yogurt Podcast. It's good good to have you across the country on the line once again. Maybe we'll see about getting you a, a microphone with our, our huge DFY budget um, from all these Ooh. paid sponsorships that we have just to you know up our studio quality a little bit. But I probably have to be promoted from semi-co-host before I qualify for that, don't I? Yeah, well, you're junior two right now, so you just have to go junior three, and then you'll be senior one, and so you'll be a full a full host, full co-host oh, okay. at that point. So It's an interesting, um, I would think it would go backwards, you know, like I go from junior, junior two to junior one. No, it, yeah, you'd think so, but it's not like a ranking system. You count up. Okay. Yeah, because gotcha. it's like the British-American uh, floor system, like in, in Britain- you know, the, the top floor is the first floor. And so you walk in and you're like, you're on floor 12. And it's like, oh, well, I get to know how many floors are in this building. But, you know, it just doesn't give you the same. You don't get the starting point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that analogy cleared that, did that not connect this, with you? About this fake thing that we're talking Swing about. Swing and a miss? All right. <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> You're telling me you never read Harry Potter and were really confused when they were talking about the floors in the Ministry of Magic? Um, I don't recall that, but I probably was. I definitely read it. You're telling me you never played RuneScape and had to do a treasure trail and realize that the maps use british flooring systems instead of american no this is actually no like actually really this is real this is real news to me that british people do that that like the bottom floor is you know the 12th or whatever i actually didn't know that i'm i'm really surprised you didn't know that yeah maybe if i went back like maybe there are things that i've been confused about that you know I just assume like reading something like, oh, I guess they just entered and went straight up to the 12th floor. <laughs> like maybe they have been things that like knowing that would have cleared well, up. I guess I, I guess the building starts 120 feet in the air. Well, I, I, I'm glad you shared that analogy after all, because I learned something today. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. So we hope we hope you all our listeners have learned something today. But uh, thanks for joining us again. You can find us on social media for whatever reason. Uh, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, things like that, you can email us at despiseforyouth at gmail.com but other than that you know we're just happy to be having conversation just just a just a guy and his younger brother who's climbing the ranks rather quickly i would say um and we hope you'll we hope you'll join us again pretty soon here say bye grant bye grant all right junior one <laughs>